Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio with Dr. Paul Jenkins, where you will hear inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Feed your mind with a regular dose of positive energy and show up for your life every day on purpose. Living on purpose means that you have a purpose and you do it intentionally. And now, here's your host, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. And my guest today is none other than Michael Page. Michael is a doctor of audiology. And you might wonder, why has Dr. Paul got a hearing guy on board today? Well, there's a lot of reasons, because Michael is also a trainer and a speaker and someone that I am just getting to know and really enjoy. And I'm glad to welcome you today to Live on Purpose Radio. Thanks so much, and thanks for what you're doing. This is in our little chat beforehand. I thoroughly enjoyed hearing about the history of your program and everything that you've done. And among our mm-hmm. group, we people know about this, and thank you for your contributions. It's awesome. Well, thank you, and and I'm glad to have you here today. I found out, Mike, that you are a trainer, and especially in the healthcare industry, uh, you provide trainings on things like ethics, but also mindset and perception and sure. confidence. Well, you're getting into my area now. <laughs> I'm, we, could, we could go on for a lot longer than this will allow today, and maybe uh, another time as well. We could. This is the beginning of whatever we do next. Sure. Thank you. Mike, would you share a little bit about your come from? What it is that has has brought you to this point and why you're so passionate about things like perception and confidence, what that has to do in the healthcare industry, wherever you want to go with that, just give us a little introduction to you. What makes you tick? My background is in pediatric audiology, and I I worked for many years at Primary Children's Hospital in Salt Lake City and coordinated the cochlear implant program and uh, rehabilitative program for kids with hearing loss. And that all started out by many, many years ago, identifying newborn infants with hearing loss. And our goal is to identify that as early as possible. Probably one of the more memorable experiences I had was identifying hearing loss in a premature infant that was born weeks before he should have been we were able to identify his hearing loss at that point in time. And before I left Primary Children's after all those years, I ended up with a high school graduation notice from that same boy. Oh, from and the same kid. So you can you can see the impact of what happens when we identify these things a little bit earlier. Pediatric audiology has always been a love of mine, and I've been in, entrenched in cochlear implantation. I've done a, a lot of training nationwide with other clinicians, surgical training for new surgeons coming into the cochlear implant arena. But the side... Wow. The side path of this is really what you and I are talking about. Mm. And and that's a recognition that these relationships with people are are beyond what we even know. And Mm. I I recognized in my relationships with patients, for instance, that that what how they perceived me and how I perceived them truly mattered. And to the point where it could make or break the outcome of why they were there to see me as a clinician. 
Right. And I noticed they would talk, they would talk about other providers, other physicians, providers, therapists as well. And they would open up to me and tell me about their experience of what it was like to go see someone. And I, I remember taking a lot of that to heart. And I began a little bit of a parallel path professionally in starting to talk about those things in to other groups or groups of other professionals. And, and this has kind of evolved into what I've done today. Uh, mm-hmm. Just recently, a couple of weeks ago, I gave a keynote speech in Chicago on on how our patients perceive us. And uh, it was really, it, we, we had a, a large group of uh, professional providers there, um, and their comments afterward were compelling to me because I, I recognized how valuable it is for providers to understand how their patients value them, how they see them in ways that they don't even right. know how, they, how they're seen. So perceptions, all of that became a really strong parallel path. Mm-hmm. It's also peppered a little bit with ethical practices, and I've been involved in that arena as well. But ironically, maybe, or maybe not, ethics have a lot to do with how we see one another. And when we think things Absolutely. are unethical, it's usually about how I'm perceived. So, right. And anyway, we could go on and on about that, but that's in a nutshell, that's where I'm at. You called it first a side path <laughs> that we're going on today. <laughs> right. But really, I think this is foundational. Uh, regardless of what the industry is, as long as we're interacting with people, we're dealing with perceptions. We are. And perception's all you got. It's all you have. So understanding that is so important. And you've helped to train people specifically in the healthcare industry and, and especially in the field of audiology. Sure. Uh, I'm seeing this as a very universal foundational principle as we understand and work with people. There, there's no doubt about that. And, and my realm is expanding quite a bit. Now I'll be speaking at the Utah Nurse Leaders Association meeting coming up in another month or so. And it'll be mm-hmm. along these same lines because it is universal. It's right. completely universal. In fact, we could even draw it into other non-medical aspects of, of business and, mm-hmm. and things like that as well. It's, it's so powerful when we, when we talk about these things and explore these ideas one of the most one of the best compliments I've ever had from a talk that I've given uh, was after this one in Chicago. A gentleman came up to me the next day and he said, "I have been up most of the night thinking about the things that you presented and what they mean to me as a provider." And of course, that conversation ensued to to understand. But when we can change our perceptions and understand our perceptions. It's, it's endless in terms of mm. the outcomes that, that come with us. Can you give us just a little taste of what you're talking about here in terms of changing outcomes? And I know you've got lots of stories. Sure. They might be patients. They might be providers, that, people that you've worked with. Yeah. Where, where when you can address that perception, it changes the outcome. Can you think of an example that you'd like to share? A couple of like things come to mind. First of all, one of, the, one of the more compelling research pieces that I've read recently out of Harvard Business Review stated that n- roughly 99% of people feel like they are self-aware. Ah, But as they evaluate their self-perception, 
It's actually reversed is the reality. Roughly five to 10% of people, particularly providers, are actually self-aware. So we're, Interesting. we're living in a, in a phase where we're, it's not that we're deceiving ourselves and there's no intention to be not self-aware. Right. That self-awareness piece is much bigger than we might want to think it is, particularly as we, as providers of healthcare, think we, we think we're very much in tune with this. And, and the fact is we're probably not as much as we think. Recently, and here's that story, um, there was a student, uh, I, I was a guest professor at the University of the Pacific in San Francisco last summer, mm-hmm. and, I, and we talked about some of these things with these doctoral students as well, and I had a student tell me, in fact, he wrote it in, a, in an assignment. He said, I don't really care what patients think about me. I know that I'm Interesting. right. I have the intelligence, I have the degree. I have everything that I need to be right and to guide them through this process of their health care. And I really don't care what they think about me. Wow. And <laughs> wow. And then our next class had to do with professional arrogance. <laughs> because that's probably the epitome of, of arrogance, especially mm. at the level of a student. And and so right. he and I had that discussion and, and had a very pointed discussion about that. And I've told that story a number of times because, I, I, again, I think we can't ever be so arrogant that we're willing to think that what people think of us doesn't matter. I'm, I'm putting this together, those, those two points that you just made. I think really tie together nicely because... If it is really true that we're not as self-aware as we think we are, sure. And, and you're right about that, by the way. I, in my experience, we get locked inside of our own head, and we're the king of our own world. Yeah, we are. We are uh, truly, and we know that we're right. That's where the arrogance comes in, right? Sure. And it's not that we think we're right; we know we're right, <laughs> and and that's. Evidence that we're not self-aware. True. It, it, you couldn't be more correct. And <laughs> really, I don't know what else to say to that, but it's it's absolutely perfect. Mm. There were several other experiences over the years that are similar to this. One one experience with, with just outright professional arrogance, which was similar to this student. And then there was another several experiences where I saw professional self-deprecation. Where oh, interesting. it was so painful to watch. And, and out of that, and over the years of contemplating that, I, I developed what I call the, the uh, confidence continuum. And so it's a continuum like that goes from self-deprecation to um, underconfidence to confidence to overconfidence and arrogance. Okay. And I worked with an etymologist to come up with um, several, a, a list of, adjectives or descriptors that would go underneath each one and and so it's a it's a model that i like to teach from and i will often pass it out in a class or a course that i'm teaching and and ask people just put your finger where you live where do you live on this page interesting most of the time Uh and average every day where do you live and what do, you, what do you think most people, where do you think they would be on that spectrum? That where so do you think they might live? 
interesting. And it's because, not me interviewing you, but... Well, I'm thinking back to what you already said about how the majority of us would identify as being self-aware. Sure. Uh, when actually it's a very small minority... Who truly are. Who truly are, yeah. at least according to the measures used in that particular right. uh, study. Um, I would guess... Well, let me hedge it just a little more because... I heard one of my friends, Brett Harward, he's, he's the author of the book, The Five Laws That Determine All of Life's Outcomes, <laughs> which is a very bold title. Sure. Um, he pointed out in his book, he said that I think, I'm, I'm making up some of the numbers, but it was in this area, 95% of all the people that they surveyed self-reported themselves to be above average in their driving skills. Oh, gosh. Now, that's not even mathematically that, possible. Sure. sure. <laughs> right. But think about it. Sure. You kind of feel How like we... you are. It's like, well, I'm, of course a, I am. I'm a good driver. Right. Right? Unless you've been in an accident recently, and then you might go the other direction. Sure. Um, I would tend to think that on that kind of a scale, people would have a bias toward the socially acceptable answer, which is confident. And I don't know if I'm even sure. right on that. But. Well, it kind of surprised me when because mm -hmm. I, I went into this not really understanding where people always lived. I just knew that I'd seen people at both extremes. Right. And and I knew people that were somewhere in between. But the majority of the people, and this is this is really an unscientific survey, but the majority of the people pointed to the area slightly below confidence. Slightly below. Slightly above underconfidence. Got it. So they were they were finding themselves in a conservative spot, right? And and that's most of us want to keep ourselves protected. So, that's the so safe find thing. It's to, a safe place right. to be, with some exceptions. I I've never found anyone who said they live in the self deprecating part, but I've found several who routinely claim that they live in the arrogant space. Interesting. And then you ask, then I go to their colleagues and say, does does so-and-so live in the arrogant space? And their <laughs> colleagues think, no, they don't. But they themselves interesting. thought they did. That triggers so many interesting questions <laughs> for me. We could probably go sure. on forever. We're going to take a break here for a few minutes uh, so that we can kind of figure out what's going to come for the second sure. half. This, this is fascinating to me. Folks, this is Michael Page today at Live On Purpose Radio. We'll be right back. Do you dream of making a bigger difference more of the time? Have you thought about life coaching as something that you would like to offer? If you are an influencer or a speaker or a leader or a coach, this webinar is for you. In this webinar, I'll share with you seven important clarities that are absolutely essential to setting up a successful life coaching practice. If you're ready to take some courageous steps to add life coaching to the services you offer your clients, register now at liveonpurpose.coach forward slash webinar. That's liveonpurpose.coach.com forward slash webinar. And we're back. Michael Page today at Live On Purpose Radio. 
a doctor of audiology who has figured out some things that this doctor of psychology has figured out because there's some foundational fundamental principles that drive everything. And whatever the industry is, we're all people. Yes, we are. First and foremost. You know, you got me thinking about a number of different things in our our first half conversation. One of the things that caught my attention, I know that you train on ethics, for example, which is really handy, by the way, because if you're trying to get a speaking engagement and you know of a profession that has a requirement to have ethical hours in their continuing education, that's a great way to get in the door. Yes, it is. And you've discovered that. But you've also found some really tight connections between what we're talking about here on your confidence scale uh, that that ranges from the self-deprecation clear over there on the left side over to the arrogance Mm -hmm. on the other side and somewhere in the middle is confidence. This has something to do with ethics and the way that we show up. Can you stitch that together for us somehow? One of the things that I I think is so critical is the reality that every one of us are leaders. We like to think that leaders are only the managers or the supervisors or the CEOs, but truly anyone who has the power to influence another human being is a leader. And Let me make sure I caught that. Anyone who has the power to influence another human being is a leader. Yes. That's going to be very inclusive. That's a lot of people. I tell that. I have twin boys that are 16. Uh And I I tell them, even in your interactions with your school peers, Mm -hmm. you are leading a group of kids, whether you know it or not. You right. are leading them by whatever, by example, by really covert leadership, you're influencing them. And so whether you choose to lead them for good or for bad mm-hmm. or anything in between, <clears throat> recognize that your role is a role of leadership and you have a responsibility to all the humans that you interact with. So yes. one of the realities I had this morning was... Um, um, the importance of gifts, and this pertains to ethical practices as well, because we, every one of us, have to practice ethics in our daily life, whether it's professional or, or otherwise, or you know, at the grocery store, and all of those kinds of things pertain. Yeah. But I had a reality this morning about leaders, and and I I thought leaders really have an obligation to four things with regard to personal gifts. One, a leader has the requirement to discover and own their own gifts. And their, their own gifts are unique. Whether you think they're God-given or innate, in, in whatever that is, throughout your life, you're going to discover that you have unique gifts and you have gifts, yes. Paul, that I don't have. And I'm hoping I right. might have a gift or two that you don't have. But we, we discover our gifts, And then Mm -hmm. second of all, we have to, as a leader, we must be willing to freely give our gifts. Just Mm. freely give our gifts for the benefit of other people. Well, what is the purpose of a gift? So then (laughs) the second part of that is as a leader, we, we have to create an environment where those that we lead feel the ability to discover their gifts so as a leader, we can't constrain people, but we create an 
open environment where people are all of a sudden discovering their own gifts, which mm. is a great blessing of a leader to see other people grow and develop and, and mature and, and we see them. And then we also create an environment, which is number four, for those people to share their gifts. Mm. And which, which propagates the process. It does. It allows them to reach people that you can't reach. It's exactly right. It is. And where this pertains to ethics is, is that our, our gifts become the source of our... Our gifts are almost like our personal values, mm-hmm. um, but our gifts become the source of why we do things that we do, why we're motivated in a certain way, what, what motivates me to, to respect you or like you or not. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so ethical practices come into play um, in, in every way that we're, we're not even conscious of this. Um, I often ask audiences that I speak to in healthcare, I'll say, what do you think is the most common reasons why patients sue healthcare providers? What's the most common reason? Invariably, people will say medical mistakes, medical error, mm-hmm. um, they forgot or they misdiagnosed or, I mean, they go through all of these reasons why they think they get sued. But yeah. the research tells us that it's not even anything to do with that. That's just the stated purpose or but the reason. the bottom line is, is that people sue when they lose trust. Yeah. And we know, we know tons of highly competent physicians who are never sued because they have a great trusted relationship with their patients and patients are more forgiving. I'm guessing those physicians make mistakes. Sure. Sure, of course they do. Probably all. But when they have a trusted relationships, the patients usually don't sue them. Mm-hmm. We have incompetent physicians who were also never sued because they have because great of their relationships. relationships. We have highly competent physicians who are sued frequently because even though they're competent, because they don't care they don't what care. their patient exactly. thinks. Exactly, that's exactly going back right. to your story earlier about the student. So what these, wow. these ethical practices and these relationships come down to is how do we, in our relationships, whether personal or professional, how do we develop this, this, I, this uh, environment of trust with one another, which is the number one piece to keep us engaged with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ethical practices have to do with, mainly have to do with what motivates us. If we're unethical Chances are we've been motivated by something that's either greed or or you know pride or mm-hmm. those kinds of things will motivate us to do something. I knew a healthcare professional that was um, charged with Medicare and Medicaid fraud uh, because he chose to bill Medicare for patients that had been dead for years, and he had oh, their wow he had their numbers and he just billed Medicare or Medicaid for services that were never rendered. So what motivates someone to do that? And usually that's going to be greed, mm-hmm. um, personal pride. Um, it, fear, it, maybe. It could be fear. Fear of being seen as someone who didn't drive the right kind of car. Right. Because or being seen as inadequate. or Yeah. That's fascinating. I think in the healthcare industry especially... I, I'm thinking about the Hippocratic Oath. Do no harm. 
first do no yeah. harm. And, and it's centered on the best interest of the patient, not the doctor. Sure. So true. Any motivation that's not centered on the person you're serving potentially gets you into some trouble. Yes, it does. I had a, so simple, Mike. I had a right? student ask me a compelling question the other day that I've never forgotten. And she said, she said, what do you think is the most, our greatest challenge in healthcare moving forward? And I was surprised because I'd never really had that question. I'd never thought about it. And the answer came out just straight out. And I said, I think our most compelling issue in healthcare is the erosion of the patient-provider relationship. Hmm. And we're influenced as providers. We're influenced by pharma. We're inf influenced by medical device companies, those who sell their goods and wares to us as providers. And then we're motivated by the gifts of industry and those kinds of things that, that change how we treat how patients. How we interact with our patient. So yeah. we think, we think and we believe that that uh, patient relationship is a sacred relationship in the truest sense of that form, sacred, that we, mm. we should protect it at all costs. And yet we see as time goes on the erosion of this relationship little by little where we're influenced by, by things that we should protect us, protect against for patients. And there are so many potential distractions You've, there are. You've mentioned a few of them, but also you look at the insurance industry and the, the regulations that are placed on governments and, and licensing boards. And Yes. Uh, it, it can be very overwhelming for a physician, for example, to be in a position of having to comply with all of that, maybe being motivated by the materialistic or external rewards. And where is the patient in all of that? Yes, of course. Without that relationship, the risk goes up. And the erosion increases. Right. Yes, it does. So what's the answer? I think one of the answers is for every healthcare provider to ragingly protect this relationship. At the risk of... Ragingly. Ragingly protect this relationship with patients. To the point that we're, we have to, in our minds, be willing to almost lose all of our temporal benefits in order to protect this relationship. Now, mm -hmm. chances are great that we never will. And I think the most ethical and the most committed providers never lose anything at all. In fact, they have more to gain from that. But sometimes we get yeah. in that space where we're fearful, as you mentioned, of what the outcome might be if I don't rope these things in to per protect my financial interests or otherwise. But it's Fear not and an scarcity. easy scarcity. Yeah. It, there's a paradox embedded in that. Uh, it's almost like the tighter, the more tightly you try to cling to those external rewards, the more likely it is you're going to lose them. Sure. You're, you're exactly right. It's a paradox. I think when we cling to truly what matters, the likelihood that we can... Everything else takes care of yeah, itself? I believe so. I do believe so. You haven't, you haven't had enough experience to learn <laughs> that, have you? <laughs> no, just about 35 years. Just it's not much. 35 years in the industry. You've shared some good value here today. How can people get 
more of this. Sure. More of Michael Page. Several ways. I mean, I'm more than happy to take a phone call as well. But a website where you can connect with me is www.mdpage.org. M-D-Page, P-A-G-E, dot org. And that's where they can connect to you if they want you to come and speak to their sure. group, especially if they need ethics hours. Of course. Right? You got that. You bring it. And this is about, in fact, I was invited to speak to a, a whole group of business people the other day about business ethics. So mm. this is even outside of the realm of healthcare. Right. The whole the principles behind ethics are universal, as you mentioned right. earlier. So right. the, the the possibilities are endless and it's all about the discussion, discovery, creating that self-awareness in the best way possible. Wonderful. So mdpage.org. Correct. That's the place. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for joining nice me at Live on Purpose Radio. Folks, you've heard it from Dr. Michael Page. Now it's your turn to go live on purpose. Mm-hmm.